The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. This show brought to you by Jersey Ninja. New items added weekly, superior quality products, excellent selection, competitive pricing, 100% satisfaction guaranteed. That's Jersey Ninja at jerseyninja.com. Your source for great quality hockey jerseys and performance wear products. Forgive the interruption, but I believe this requires your attention. Meanwhile, at the above-ground underwater suborbital volcano lair... This is urgent. We need a response team. We're already putting together the best move. With all due respect, sir, so am I. I have a plan. (laughs) It's real! Mighty Marvel Geeks. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're... We're a time bomb. Well then, son, you've got a condition. Your show about all things Marvel with Mike, Kylan, and Eric. What a bunch of losers. I am Groot. That I did know. These people may be isolated, unbalanced even, but I believe with the right push, it can be exactly what we need. I'm Suda. I'm bringing the party to you. I have indeed been uploaded, gentlemen, online and ready. And welcome to another issue of Mighty Marvel Geeks. Apparently something has set off my dogs. <laughs> oh my goodness, and you said issue right from the start. I know. Yeah, and, and but yet you failed to put your dogs on vibrate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, took a, I took a mental health day from work today, so. I think it helped. Um, It is the Intrepid Trio, Kylan, Eric, and myself, Mike. How are you guys doing? And I'll be right back. (laughs) Uh, He cares enough to ask us how we're doing, but he doesn't care enough to stick around and listen. (laughs) It makes me think about uh, that uh, old um, Saturday Saturday Night Live skit. Coffee clatch, like where the person would give a some subject that says discuss and then leave. (laughs) (laughs) That is the light fuse and getaway method of debate. Hey, if it works elsewhere. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm good. I'm in pre-con mode, so you know there's that. Well, uh, (laughs) it's the hound. It's the hound. Release the hound. Going to the dogs already. Yeah, we have. Um, we have with us, uh, she's involved in digital content, um, and other things to help with various companies partner to reach out to the fans, get out to the fans. And we're going to talk to her about, um, fan toxicity, what the studios are doing by not connecting with the fans and other fun subjects like that. Uh, we have with us, Jenny Steven. How are you doing, Jenny? I'm doing great. It's Thursday night. I don't know what it is when you guys put this live, but it is Thursday night and I'm ready for the weekend. 
It airs Saturday nights uh, on Sorcerer Radio, Radio, and it drops as a podcast on Sunday morning, right? Six, no. six sixteen a.m. Right? No, I, I, I haven't done I haven't done six sixteen a.m. in a while. Uh, I, but I do sixteen a.m. on a Sunday. Well, this week the episode last week's episode dropped today. <laughs> Just because it's been so crazy, yeah, it's it's been so crazy. And I actually went with the I actually went with the title "Volume Outweighs Relevance." <laughs> uh, that was okay. I was just listening to the "Are We Casting Yet?" one. That was so, I was getting caught up on that one. Okay. So. Oh, last week's episode is oh. you're gonna need a seatbelt. You're gonna need a seatbelt. Oh, seriously? Cool. Oh, it it, it goes off the rails. Then tries to get back on rails and it jumped a track and then ended up on a ship. I love it when you guys jump the rails. That's like my favorite conversations and discussions. Half the time I'm yelling at my phone because I'm listening to you guys in the car and I'm yelling at it going, no. <laughs> That's some of the best. Yes, that is some of the best podcasts where you find yourself talking back to it when you think people aren't listening. Oh, yeah. Well, luckily, nobody so far. I mean, hopefully ours will go off the rails too much. I don't want to be saying that on to you guys. Uh-uh. <laughs> you you are. Uh, we give you permission to tangent just as hard as the rest of us. That's why I'm a consultant and I don't work full time for anybody because my life is tangents. I love it. Well, I'm I'm going to go right to the fun topic right out of the start. Oh, oh boy, okay. And and I and I'm going I'm going there because I I've been seeing it with the Ahsoka series and the finale and the whole season in general and I know how bad it is there and and it just it seems like since the Disney era with Star Wars that toxicity has really gotten bad everywhere else let's talk about toxicity between the fans and we'll say right now the Marvel Cinematic Mm -hmm. Universe yeah so what part do you want to focus on? Because there is the opinion as the fandom development consultant. There's the opinion as a marketer. And then there's the opinion as a fan. Yes. <laughs> okay. Let's do it as a marketer first. Because that's okay. about the 50,000 the 50, foot view. Uh, something that Disney does not have. A- yeah. <laughs> that's, that is very true. Usually from... And IP owners side, the studio side, the production houses side, toxicity doesn't mean deadly squat to them from a marketing standpoint, because it, it is genuinely the old adage of there is no bad publicity because it gets somebody interested to go check out what it is. However, in the past 10 years, because I've been doing this for about 25, 30 years now in total. For the past 10 years, what we've seen is such an increase of IP owners and studios engaging, like James Gunn engaging, that the toxicity has started to have in the past, pre-COVID, I would say it started around 2019, but now post-COVID a lot. It now has an impact on decisions that are being made, which you know leads you to fan service, right? So right. then you get into, from a fandom development standpoint, or to go back to marketing, It's hard to combat toxicity from a marketing standpoint. You don't touch it with a 10-foot pole in marketing. You don't answer fans in marketing. You don't get into that. It's it's not your job as a marketer to touch that. 
It is, that's the fans. They're going to do what they do. We can only create the content. We can sell it the best we can sell it. That's up to them to make that decision. And marketers are pretty neutral about that. It's, hey, we're going to make the content we make. We want to appeal. If we miss the boat, we miss the boat. But if everybody's going to be anti about it, there really isn't a lot we can do about it. We didn't create the content. When you get into fandom development, which is I work with the creators, not the marketers per se, then you're really getting in the trenches. And then it's really difficult because you've got creators as IP owners, or if not the creators, they are the representational and they believe in it. Like James Gunn, he doesn't create everything, but he believes in it. So whatever he's out there pounding the drum for, he believes in that, regardless if he directed, write it, or produced it. So same with Kevin Feige. Now, Kevin has literal creative control. So the difference there, and I'm sure Mike, you've seen this to a certain degree, is that the layers that have now happened because of the acquisition by Disney is it has slowly, over the past 10 years, added more and more and more layers of approval. And it becomes decision by committee as opposed to control by a couple of key creative people. Kevin Feige's done a great job of trying to keep that control. But what ends up happening from a fandom standpoint is you feel farther and farther and farther from the source material, whether that's, it could be a whole slew of reasons, but you start to resent the feeling that you are not being heard as a fan. And right now, because of the, again, going back to the past 10 years, we, we opened that floodgate. We allowed that. We wanted it to happen. From my point of view, studios and IP owners weren't doing enough of it. So I want that floodgate open. But with that comes the feeling of entitlement and ownership that fans have. And when that happens, you then have a creator and an owner of the IP and fans who feel like they own that IP. Well, you're going you're gonna to clash. You're not going right. to agree. There's going to be toxicity. So from my point of view as a fan, it's hard for me to watch it. It's, it's hard for me. I don't get involved in it because not because I would take it personally, but because it tears me up that something I love is being torn down by either the creator or the fan. As a fandom development, it's my job to act as the diplomacy, the State Department. It's my job to get in there and talk to first the IP owner and say, you got to get out there and own up to what worked and what didn't. Not everybody's going to say that, but that's my job. That's when I go in and I talk to them about and I say, okay, this worked or it didn't work or a part of it worked or it didn't work. And you have to be transparent about it. And they don't want to do that. If you're talking with a creator, a direct creator, sometimes they will. But because I have to go through 16 layers of approval and 16 layers of decision by committee, I get stopped by PR marketing before I can even get to the people that are going to actually be the creator, the owner of that content. That's where my frustration comes in. Talking to the, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you are more than welcome to play uh, the episode for this to whoever you want to hear (laughs) so they can hear what fans want. Because we, we, yeah. Well, that's, I want to hear it. I personally, uh, as we're recording tonight, Loki dropped. Yeah. Loki started the new season. Mm -hmm. We are a month and five days away from the Marvels coming out. Yeah. Where's the marketing? Well, that's a whole nother ball of wax. I mean, that's a huge (laughs) problem. It's a huge problem. It is. And there are are multiple reasons. But but this adds to the toxicity of why doesn't it get sold? Because marketing and PR want to go, yeah, it's about the fans. No, we don't want anything about it. 
and they're wrong. No, and it kills me. One of the reasons, so uh, for a period of time I was in marketing and then I moved out of that into content production and into fandom specifically. And the reason I did was for that reason, that there was no impetus, there was no burning, there was no, uh, there certainly was no directive to communicate with fans. It was, here's the content, here's our windowing. You guys know what windowing is, right? It's, you know, you've got whatever amount of time prior to the dropping of this particular content and about two weeks after, and that's when we're going to do campaigns and that's when we're going to buy space and we don't care outside of that. And I would argue that there is no existence of franchises, especially let's talk about Marvel in particular, without a relationship with your fans. And that's why what I do now, it's why I got out of what I was doing, which was even content development and behind the scenes, which was a blast and went only into fandom development because the relationship I was, I was given all of these sci-fi geek projects at Fox and MGM because nobody else wanted to do them when I first came on board. Then they became a big thing and still people, even though we had proven data and analysis not just anecdotal, but proven success stories that building relationships with your fans means they'll come back. They trust you build a brand. It didn't matter because this is what they were going to spend their time on. And that was it. And drop right. off a clip. Right. Uh, okay. Is it, and I don't know if this is a fair question to ask, but is it fair to say that the bigger, the property, the, I'm not going to say how harder it is to build that relationship, but the less of a priority it is because you because the feeling is, oh, this thing is huge. People are going to love it anyway. Uh, like, say, let's say, you know, if you look at the MCU and it's huge and there's this obvious sense of separation between the fans uh-huh. and the people who are running the property as uh-huh. opposed to something like, uh, um, okay, I'll, I'll, let's I'll, let's throw something out there that's uh, from a third from one of our in, uh, independent company. Like I don't know, um, oh, gosh, uh, the what movie it with Vin Diesel a couple of years ago. Something that was you know, oh, so um, original. Bloodsport. No. Blood, yeah. Bloodshot. Uh, blood, blood, bloodshot. So yeah. I, something like Bloodshot, which comes from uh, basically, even though it's a one of the larger independent books, it's right. an independent book. But there seems to be more of a connection, like the company is listening to what the fans, what they liked, what they didn't like, because there was like a web series. People love the web series. They took elements from the web series to try and make it bigger for the screen. I think that's a great question. I think that, unfortunately, I wish it was that answer, but it's not because it is you can have a big company who does it right because you have the right people in charge who feel like you should be connecting with your fans. When I started at Fox, I was given the keys to the kingdom because they believed in it. So Buffy, we, I was with Glee and Buffy and X-Files almost, well, not for X-Files for the whole thing, but for a huge chunk of these franchises. And they believed in us connecting to the fans. That's why I was able to do those things and to do those campaigns and to do that outreach. And they saw digital because of the things that I brought to the table, which I said, look, you've got use groups, you've got amazing chat rooms, things that started very early on that are the first digital fandoms. And I used a lot of Marvel and DC for that is that we should be nurturing these relationships. That was great. They were all for it. As digital became a bigger part of marketing as opposed to content, 
then it got shoved into more and more hoops that I had to jump through, more and more people in charge of it, more and more people making decisions. And the same thing happened at MGM. So when you have too many people, which is where the big corporation part of your argument works, yeah, it can happen. In the Marvel case, Kevin Feige had control for a very long time. The variable, in my opinion, as a, as a marketer, as a content developer, and as a fandom developer, is that it was too much. There was too many projects for one man. And the problem is, is that he had full creative control until he didn't. And when he didn't, and it was too many projects, and then you have COVID, and then you have a writer strike, and then you have, a, I mean, it's just too many things right in a row. And then you also have distribution that is being forced onto Disney Plus that you might not have originally had a business plan for it that way. These are too many variables in the equation. So then you've got not just a disconnect from your fans, but you've got a disconnect from how you wanted this content distributed and created in the first place. And then add to the fact that anything that's Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, anything that is a, look at Winona Earp, anything that is a, graphic novel-based piece of content, if you are not treating this fandom as it should be carefully, this is not a monolith. Marvel is not a monolith. Marvel fans are not combined. You cannot combine MCU fans and graphic novel and comic book fans on an assumption. You have to have people who understand that it isn't this monolith of, hey, it's all these Marvel fans. No, it's not. And there are people who are like me who will go see anything, anytime that has to do with Marvel. And most of the time I like it. I'm a very easy audience. That's not everybody. I need to understand when I go into a project, I spend usually two to three months getting to know who those fans are before I do one piece of content, before I give one piece of advice to my client. Mm-hmm. There's usually a lot of different personas for each. Uh, that's what I call them as different personas, different groups. Mm-hmm. within that quote-unquote monolith of the fandom. And that's that's a huge part of that variable, that equation that you're talking about, Kylan, that sure, if you have a smaller company like Bloodshot, that web series kicked ass. But I'm not sure that it could have sustained past what they're doing or what they did because mm-hmm. you would have had more people involved no matter what. What would have worked is as long as that creator is connected. Okay, so... A great a great example is Todd McFarlane and Spawn. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. Okay, where you've yeah. got success and not success. And not success where he then takes it back and says, nope, I'm done. I'm not going to deal with you guys. Because I gave away creative control and look what happened. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what this strike was about as well. Where you had a lot of people on the writer strike that are original writers for content that is in the quote unquote geek space saying, Hey, I'm officially WGA now. And you guys aren't listening to me. This is not okay. Gail Simone's one of the most obvious examples where she's like, birds of prey. You guys aren't listening to me. I know this content. It's not mine originally, but I've been writing it. You want to use my stories. That's what you have to pay attention to. You have to be able to, and I can't look, I tried to do the producing side and it was, I I couldn't deal with the amount of people between making a decision and getting it done. I love producing, but I needed to do what I do because if I had wanted to do some of the content that I wanted to do for Buffy, it wasn't going to happen. There were way too many hoops to jump through. 
Well, so I all right. So I'm I'm a huge John Wick fan, and uh, there was something that come out, and it had to have been maybe around the third movie, and I signed up for like digital updates. Yeah, I signed up, and it was kind of cool. Like these little notices come up, but I forgot about it. And then one day I get this text that says time is running out, and I was like, what? And I'm like, who's texting me? And I looked, and then I hit uh, this link, and there's countdown clock, and it was like a countdown to the to Four. the John Wick trailer yeah. coming out, and I was instantly pulled in, and then right. like I started getting these crazy texts. Every now and then, all of a sudden, like I'm reading, it and it's like somebody's texting me, like they're they're coming for you. You're like, you know, and that type of marketing was genius to me because. Even as a fan, at that point, I was pulled into the world. Yeah. Who doesn't want to be be in the world, right? And I want to say that may have started around the Matrix is where I remember it. But I remember it even bigger around um, the Dark Knight. Yeah. Yes. With everything. with And they had the, yeah, they started the text. With with, with the Joker stuff. And and the, um, of course, Harvey Dent running for mayor. And mm-hmm. all that, and you then the, the and then actually hiding things across the country. Yeah, type thing as well. Brilliant. And who and so two friends of mine worked on those at Warner Brothers, and they had no idea if this was going to work. Literally, just flying this out, had pitched it as a proposal, thinking we think as fans again. See, they were huge, huge Batman fans, and so they could be do this pitch, do this proposal, and they're. Th- they're thinking this isn't going to fly. So, Kylan, to your point, there was a guy that worked at Warner Brothers who was equally a huge Batman fan. He was the producer for the digital content and for digital campaigns. They pitched to him. He thinks it's brilliant. He convinces his bosses to do it. So here's a big company that could have just said no to the whole thing. But at the time, you had diehard fans pitching this project to someone who understood it. A lot of things had to line up to have that work right. And the same with the Matrix. You know, the Matrix was independent. So you had, you know, basically control. They had all the control, even with the distribution. They were smart enough to say, we want control over the marketing for distribution. That was brilliant. That means they got to have yes or no over the campaigns, over the key art, over everything. That was brilliant. Mm -hmm. They, They said, they talk about this very openly, that they had studied Lucas about this to know what to do. So they knew, okay, we want licensing and merchandising. We need to be in charge of creative for marketing. But Mike, I know we went on a tangent, but I did want to say one more thing to go back to your original question about the toxicity of fandom. Because see, I, I'm good. I can I'm an Irish storyteller. I'll always bring it back to our <laughs> I so, love that. Okay. <laughs> so all of these things that we've just talked about are crucial to avoiding the toxicity. Because if you're honest with your fans and you're transparent with your fans, even if they hate the content that came out, most people, your trolls at that point go down to on average, I have found three to five percent of your fandom. If you are transparent about this is what we're doing, this is why we're doing it, we want you to like it. We know that not the entire monolith of fandom that is X-Men crazy, X-Men is a perfect example, but we're <laughs> hoping to appeal to this particular slice of it. Come on out. 
come see it. Let's let's do what we can. You're going to have the haters. Nothing you can do about it. We live in a world where a large part of my approach and finding fans, that's my first question is where are your fans, are on social and online and in groups and in forums and following guys like you. Okay, so you're not going to please everybody. But nobody, nobody on the studio side wants to hear that. Nobody in distribution wants to hear me say, you're not going to get everybody. And their head, the only way they succeed is, and I get this from their job, they have to presume they can get the majority of these fans. They have, they have to go into it thinking that way. So where that's not the, that's not the reality of it. I mean, you're not going to where, where, okay. I I still think the the big thing is PR in and marketing. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and I'm going to use this as my example. Uh, We already talked about Loki on Facebook. I got, I didn't even realize I, you know, same thing with Kylan and his John Wick stuff. I, I saw it on Facebook and I did the, uh, the Loki, you know, alerts through Facebook mm-hmm. messenger yeah. and the first, and I started that probably like September 21st, September 22nd. Mm-hmm. Then I get a post from them on September 23rd. I get a series of posts. Then I get nothing until today. Yeah. So where, where is the disconnect <laughs> Within those departments, is it in the older, is it in the older echelon or is it actually from the, I hate to use the term millennials, but is it from the millennials who are now in the positions of power in these different organizations, in these different departments who just don't know what the hell they're doing? I don't want to say it's generational only because I work with so many different, I mean, I'm Gen X myself and a lot of Gen Xers are the ones who are, who are making the decisions at the higher echelons. And then there's, you know, everybody and their brother mix in the generations after that, especially in what I do, where I see it as being a problem is cross-functional departments and it's territorial. So one of my biggest, biggest problems, and I'm sorry to all of my PR friends out there, is that PR versus fandom development, of which I consider PR to be part of the pieces of the pie, is a constant fight. And usually marketing will err on the side of PR. So any kind of cross-communication that you have, for instance, perfect example, consumer products. I worked at Fox. In a million years, it wouldn't have occurred to me not to talk to my compatriots and my colleagues at consumer products. They're making the coolest shit. Sorry, stuff. They're making the coolest <laughs> collectibles, the coolest toys, the coolest books, the coolest T-shirts. Right. And so I'm working on all these amazing properties when I'm at Fox and MGM. And why wouldn't I go to consumer pro- products and see what they're doing? And so we would develop stories with all of it. And so that's how I actually got to know people at Dark Horse, people at Hot Topic, people at all of these other places, Diamond, you know, because... We develop stories. But if you are talking to all those other those other departments, those your whoever was well, I can tell you who was in charge at Disney at Marvel of that particular campaign. A um, couple things happened. They laid some people off, so it, it drops, and it goes through cycles of we're going to outsource everything to a digital marketing digital content company vendor then it comes back to oh no no no, we're going to bring an internal we're only going to hire internally and there's it's always an all or nothing and you will see with almost every campaign where that's happened where there's this huge gap a huge drop cross-functionality communications didn't happen disney (laughs) is supposed to be famous about doing that right and they don't (laughs) okay so but i I want to 
and there's no there's no throughput. There's no I'm going to get hit by the bus. Here's the campaign plan. Nobody does that. You see, in, in the perfect example of why would you go talk to consumer products? Look at mm-hmm. Marvel back in the day, Transformers, GI Joe. When they had the comics, they got a hold mm-hmm. of Hanna Barbera for the cartoon. Right. And then on top of that, talked with Has with Hasbro and said, "What are you releasing so we can make sure those are featured in the cartoons?" But everybody's so territorial now; they don't want to do it. Not only will you not have, God forbid, any IP owner talking to another IP owner, even if there is cross promotion happening in the past, which is how you have those fans in the first place. You're certainly not having cross-communication, cross-functional communication amongst the divisions and departments anymore. And kind of this goes back to your point at the bigger corporations. And that is where it fails. That is where it stumbles. Because you could be doing, let's say that your John Wick messages were not just text messages about John Wick, but it was tied into other aspects of the campaign. So the people in the digital campaign department, which... John Wick is Warner Brothers, right? Or uh, I believe so. I believe so. Well, uh, no, no, not not Warner Brothers. Because uh, um, it's over. Because it's over on Peacock, so it's uh, Universal. Universal. Oh, Universal. Universal. Oh, good God. Okay, so they've got a they've got three different digital campaign, digital marketing, digital content divisions: mm-hmm. Peacocks, Universals, NBCs. That doesn't even count all the the myriad of divisions that they've got. Then imagine if they had been talking to each other about the content that's being created that's behind the scenes. Imagine if they had talked to digital content. Imagine if they had talked to consumer products. The tie-ins that could have happened, and this used to work. This used to be what they did. Mm -hmm. Harry Harry Potter is a perfect example of everybody talked to one another. Right. they, they wait until it's a successful IP franchise when if all you did was do some early communication because you think it might be successful, it might not. But where's the waste of time if you talk to your other divisions right. and you do a better job of reaching fans? And I'm only talking franchises, right? So it's got to be mm-hmm. things that you expect to have a long life, a long life cycle. Well, right. with what you're saying, there's three departments of, of digital content mm-hmm. for, for Universal. I had a friend reach out to me who it was highly involved in the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser project. Mm-hmm. Wanted to come on to Wookiee Radio, my Star Wars podcast. Yeah. But cool, let me send you the formal invitation. Sent the formal invitation. That's cool. You know the deal. We got to run those through legal. Mm-hmm. Cool. All legal departments except Disney Media. Oh, my God. Approved it. Disney Media said no. Yep. Happens like, all the time. What in the world? Why would media be involved in this? Since oh, we're not. They- because it's a podcast. And they've paid advertising on some other podcast network for something. Probably. And you are part of that network. It's it, There is a checklist that happens because there's a legal there's a legal department or a legal rep for every division in the bigger corporations. So to your point, there's, there's one for Disney Media, for digital content. So your legal department has a rep for each of the major uh, pieces of the pie that reach out to the public. So PR has multiple legal people, but social, digital content, dig, uh, media, advertising, every, anything that's going to reach the public has its own, usually in the bigger department, in the bigger studios, a dedicated rep because they have very individual and very important right. legal questions that have to be. And they are singular. They're unique. 
licensing and merchandising has about 40 people. So it, it is very specific. The problem with that is that when you're doing anything that is a fan outreach, a fan show, a uh, at a convention, you suddenly have to talk to every single one of those legal people. And if one of them says no, that's it. It used to be at Fox, it had to be unanimous. So if one of them said no, it didn't matter. You could still move forward. So I could still move forward with some of my things. We took that into consideration what they were concerned about. So in your case, it would have been, hey, totally cool. He can go on, but please just make sure not to advertise this in certain places because we're paying for advertising on this podcast network. In other words, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Right. That doesn't happen. I go back to everything is so territorial, so gated community, so walled off in their own division, their own department about what they do. And they hold on to it like it is the last buoy before they get swept out to the ocean. And they they don't want to work with anybody. And I'm, so- I'm sweeping generalization, by the way, because there are a lot of really good people that I work with in different studios. But in general, that is... That is the the domino effect. So, oh, go ahead. Why, so why is it then the fans, the ones that help push and bring in your general audience, just like it works in sports, mm. just like mm. it does in music? I mean, I'm not a Taylor Swift fan, but I hear she puts on a heck of a show. And being an audio engineer and a technician, I would go put earplugs in where I can't hear a single thing mm-hmm. just to watch the show. Right. Because of the word of mouth from the fans. Well, the U2 show at the Sphere in Vegas, that was the most yeah. intense thing I've ever seen. And Taylor Swift at the same time and Beyonce. But here's the thing. U2, Beyonce and Taylor Swift all have something in common, which is that they all 100% own their property now, their IP. They are fully in control. <clears throat> okay. That's the whole reason for her Renaissance tour, right? Not Renaissance, her Eras tour. So mm-hmm. why is it then the studios, the companies, corporate, whoever, and, and I'll come out and say it right now. I, I'm talking about you, boss man, Bob Iger. Yeah. Um, nope. Why aren't you listening to the fans who make up at least 50% of your revenue that comes in? Because I'll tell you right now, my daughter or my wife, with the Marvels coming out, she said there better be some decent clothing products out for Captain Marvel. It was one of the first things I talked about. I'm looking at some of the outfits that Monica's got on. I'm like, damn, I wear that to WonderCon. I can't find it anywhere. But the Marvels is a, is a whole, that is a tangent. To answer your question specifically, because unfortunately right now, and this is where you're going to find me to be the progressive side of myself, uh, in this country, these corporate CEOs, and in Iger's case, partners, only answer to the shareholders. While it would make more sense for them to listen to the fans, because the fans are bringing in the revenue, Unfortunately, because they basically put all their money on the streaming ponies, that they then put all this content that the fans are following on their streaming and dedicated subscription SVOD channels. Mm-hmm. It's not bringing in 50% of the revenue. Where the revenue is coming for Disney is Parks and Rec. So Disney Plus is bleeding money. I bet everything on it. He has to answer to the shareholders. So instead of actually saying, well, you know what, maybe a subscription VOD wasn't the right answer. We need to look at adding advertising like Netflix is doing 
or something else or look at another business model, it's the content's fault. Well, it's Di- not fault. Disney Plus has added advertising. It, that's right. It has. I forgot. Yeah. You know, I think I think that that's unfortunately the push me pull you within entertainment from the very beginning. I just had this conversation with a friend where you've got the bean counter or you've got the creative person that's in charge. The best studios, the best IP owners are the ones that have a balance. Either they themselves can be the balance or if they're creative, they've hired a COO that is somebody who knows the business models, knows how to work it. Or if you're the business model side and the COO, you've hired a creative person who can genuinely be a creative director. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't work otherwise. I, I hate to say it, but Disney hasn't had that since since the beginning of oh, Roy. No, yeah. since, since the beginning of Michael Eisner's sixth. I year. agree. I 100% agree. And I think you his, know, I would, his, I, his I first five so. years was great for the company. Year yeah, six on. It's and I think that the problem. Uh, no, I think the success for Iger with Kevin Feige and Lucasfilm, where there was success was when he let them do their own thing. Where yes. a huge problem was when, oh, what's his face? Chepke, whatever his name was that he had. Chapek. Cheap state. He ah. was 100% a bean counter. And yes. see, prior to that, he could be very successful at Parks and Rec and at Consumer Products. Uh, uh, he he believe he wasn't that successful. Oh, yeah, right, his, right, yeah, I know. I heard that. I didn't know that until I listened to um, an actual a business parks and rec podcast about it. I thought he was, but the balance was there when Kevin and we might not agree with what Kathleen Kennedy has done with Star Wars with Lucasfilm, but when Lucasfilm was allowed to do its thing and Bob Iger was doing the business model where he would say, here's the business model, here's where your content needs to go, this is what we have, this is your cap, just like a sports model, go do your thing, it worked. The minute that shifted was probably in, I would say Iron Man 3, where suddenly Disney shareholders and the Disney board and, you know, Iger wanted more control mm-hmm. because they suddenly saw, oh, this is really successful. This, I, so I guess it couldn't have been, it must have been Avengers, that God forbid they should let the people who, why they bought it in the first place, continue to do what's right and what works. It doesn't matter. You can't course correct. I'm not saying you can't. You know, Kevin Feige might not have been able to bring it to this type of success level by himself. Mm-hmm. So, so Feige in many ways went from one Kobayashi Maru to another. That's because, you know, spot on. Because right at right after Disney bought Marvel in 2008 was the whole the whole um, fight, and, and we were seeing it originally with Ant Man as well. Yeah, that the creative committee mm-hmm. at Marvel with Marvel Entertainment, which was the comics, mm-hmm. who are people who have no clue how to put on a film or a television show. Right. We're mm-hmm. trying to dictate how the studio should be run. Mm-hmm. And that's when Feige pretty much went to Iger and said, you gotta let me do it. Well, separate us or I'm gone. Yeah, and hey, and they separated. No, no offense to Jeff Johns and Jim Lee, who I genuinely admire, but that's, that was their problem as well. Not to bring mm-hmm. in, you know, the opposite universe. Well, but, but it's true though, because 
that was their problem. Still, still is to some degree. I don't know if that's going to change. Oh, well, I pissed Eric off. No, <laughs> you didn't. I promise. Uh, I know with that scenario, it was Zack Snyder that was trying to get yeah. more control and, and they were losing it with uh, Je- Lee and Johns were losing it with uh, him. But and in the meantime, Greg Berlanti's over here having been given creative control. And it's doing but amazing. Still had, but still had guidance from Jeff Johns, rightly so, who said, hey, this is the universe I want to build. Here are the storylines that I think are good for this. Jeff and Jim go, yeah, I think that sounds great. Just make sure you run them past us. Right. Well, and- I think, I, I know as as a, for me as a fan, like I always, I felt more of a connection to the MCU when you had Marvel TV and Marvel and Marvel Studios, because mm-hmm. uh, you, you had like because even it was like when you had the the Netflix shows, you had the ABC shows, and you had the movies. Yeah, technically, I guess like maybe you had different stories coming. Mm-hmm. I I felt I was I felt access to all of it, and then you know when they when they started taking away the stuff from Netflix. Like I was yeah. fine with it. I I was gonna get Disney Plus anyway. Right. I was. So but there are a lot of people out there who, you know, maybe they, they for one reason or another they weren't necessarily on board. Right. Yet. But now you're forced if, if this is a fandom you love, right. Now you're forced to go and either leave one service for another, right, or now you're spending money on an additional service. Some people may not be okay with that, right. and and then from there, it's like it, even the it felt like that the stories changed, like or the approach changed because well, it didn't feel like these were. It was so much about mm-hmm. Mar- Marvel the story that we're telling you. We want to bring you into this. It's like oh, here you like Marvel. Here throw and they you know oh you like hamburgers and then they you know. Throw a throw um even though I like them they, oh, they, they throw a, a white castle slider yeah yeah, yeah. You, you like white castle slider you like hamburgers right you, oh you like sure. okay. you like cheeseburgers well here's cheeseburger the wrestler from Ring of Honor <laughs> yeah, I, but hey that's not what I like I, yeah. I like cheeseburger from Ring of Honor um <laughs> but to go to your point though look at Agents of Shield the whole pitch yeah. it's all connected yeah. mm-hmm. what was happening at that point in time creative committee starting to get on and mm-hmm. break straws with with Feige. So, yeah. mm-hmm. okay, it's all connected until creative committee pisses me off. Right, right, and that's and again, remember when we were talking about what I said? It's not a monolith of fans, right? Each of the three of you are very different fans. I mean, like I said, I've been listening to this podcast for a while. You're all very distinct fans. I'm not going to presume in communicating with you as an IP owner that you're all going to like the same type of digital content or the same type of outreach that I'm doing. Hopefully what I've done is I've matched you with content that is appropriate for what you like. This is not rocket science. What it is is you hire people that are fans of your content. Do not hire people that don't know your IP. Then make sure that you have a a relationship. Spend, okay, I was going to swear, spend the time. (laughs) Would it it help within PR and marketing if they hired historians? God, yes. Oh, my God. That way they could see what's happening in society. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it's all humanities. I mean, don't that, get me that's started. What I meant. That's what I meant. You know, it's all connected, right? The <laughs> I think again, cross-functional, right? It's your PR people don't talk to their digital content. They more now talk to their marketing colleagues and they'll have cross-functional meetings, but those cross-functional meetings are quarterly. They should be weekly. Nobody mm-hmm. wants more meetings. Those are a drag. Who wants to go to more meetings? Okay, fine. Then just say, here's the agenda. And if your content's not on here, then don't come. It has to be that you've got reps from these different divisions talking to each other. So you know what the hell they're doing about this upcoming Loki. Oh my God, the things that could have been done. I expected things to be done. It's coming out before Halloween. It is three weeks. I got my my wife had to remind me that it was that it was coming out. I know we talked about it last week, yeah. but I, you know, and, and I, even though I play one of the Marvel digital games and Loki for the month of September was like the featured card or whatever. Right. Even then I'm like, uh, okay, well, whatever. If we're not reminded, and I'm not talking about advertisement and teasers and trailers and oh my God, it's, it, you have to have, smart people doing smart campaigns that don't mm-hmm. presume that you are a monolith dumb audience. It, it mm-hmm. you know, but and, that's, and that's where the problem lies. That's what you have to do. And that's, that's what I try to do. That's why I do this job. It is a lot of what I do. And one of the reasons I'm going out to podcasts is because people don't understand what I do. Totally understand that. I get it. Cool. But I shouldn't in 2023 be explaining this to studios and IP owners. No. That's, that's not okay. I need, I have to do a lot of that. Okay, cool. So once I understood that, because I started doing this full time in 2015, which is when I, I didn't, I went back and consulted with Fox, but I left Fox and MGM. Um, I was a full-time strategic consultant with them. And so I left to go back out on my own. That's what I focused on was fandom development. And it's sad that we understand your job better. Even before starting this interview, we understood what you do and the purpose behind it better than the ones who are paid well above our pay grades in any of our jobs. We're like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we don't care. That's not a very high bar, Mike. (laughs) I know it's a low bar. It's not a very high bar. I know that. Sorry, that was very low key. Oh, 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 there you go. go. Product placement. Thank you. Were you you holding that? You were holding that one in. I was holding that one. That, 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 that was a variant of some of the jokes that I thought. Oh, 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 oh. there you yeah, That's two for two. You going to get one more? Was that, the, was that the special word? Is that what, you know, we just, I had to say. Uh, apparently so. Apparently. Uh, apparently so. I had to put it low and over the plate for him. <laughs> now, it, now it, it, it's the to this, timing. To this point, though, when you talk about hiring smart people who know the, the, the fandom, yeah, uh, you may remember this from uh, an, an issue, few issues back. We were talking about Secret Invasion, and the director straight up asks, "Yeah, is it our job to meet fan expectations?" Okay, this is one of the ones I'm screaming at. That I'm like, <laughs> "What the?" Okay, again, God, I kind of not swear. What the f? I was. It blows my mind that anybody who's direct writing, directing, even producing that content says that question in this day and age, especially for Marvel, especially for DC, especially for Star Wars. 
What the, you know what? I, what the Sam Hill? Whiskey, Pingo Fox. I haven't used that in years. I got to use that. <laughs> I love that one. Um, you know, that's like, bless your heart. My mom grew up in the South, so I love those. Um, oh, we, we do I, too. <laughs> I love, you know, it is, I don't want to say that there are people that do. There are a lot that I work with that are, amazing people there are people at paramount you know and a couple of people over at warner brothers who are phenomenally tapped in brian warman over at warner brothers is a fan himself he was he's the batman fan but he's just he's just a huge fan these are the people that have spent their lives paying attention bettina sherrick is over at amazon these are people who genuinely know it and then try to make sure they get jobs that are doing that Mm-hmm. The problem I find is that they're a bit few and far between. Now, there's more now than there used to be. I don't have to have this explanation as much as I used to. That's great. That's awesome. What blows my mind is that the conversations happen at all in our field, at all. It, it shouldn't even be something that we feel challenged about. If you are a Marvel fan of any sort and you are writing, directing, producing, concepting, Doing just, I don't care, writing the comic book and you go out to a convention, you should not be stymied by the fandom, who they are, where they are, where are they living, where are they commenting, what are they doing? If you don't personally know that, shame on you. So I've been kind of wanting to ask this question at several points throughout our session. Um, But I'm talking too much. Are we interrupting Mike? (laughs) <laughs> this this is kind of like when I did the, uh, the the Jeopardy College Tournament tryout. I was so focused on waiting to the last syllable in the mock trials that that I was kind of like, I'm not going to buzz in early. I'm not going to buzz in early. I'm not going to buzz in early. And I, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Somebody beats me to it. So, But it, my, my question is, if you had a chance to go to Marvel and say, look, this is how you write the ship. This is how you reconnect with the fan base. It, what's what's the one thing that you're going to tell them? And to be honest, I feel like you've kind of been saying that all evening. Uh, well, first of all, disconnect from, not that you don't do it, but don't have your primary connection and communication be via D23 and celebration. What you need to do is have your own, have your own Marvel. It used to be that he depended on Comic-Con. Comic-Con has so much white noise now that it's become just a PR machine. Right. Fine. You know, Hall H, it's it's a PR machine. There are lots of cons, obviously, you guys, this weekend, but there are lots of individual small fan fests as well. You can't rely on that. If you need to have that first one big communication, do your own, do a Marvel convention, have it just be Marvel, have it be Kevin Feige. He does the keynote speech and then it is three days of everybody and they are required to be there and they are required to have interaction with fans and they have, you know, they do it at New York. So you can have 120,000 people come and then don't don't subscription wall shit. Oh, sorry. Stuff. Make sure that they're coming. <laughs> send send out simulcast on Disney Plus and YouTube. So I, I think that that's got to be your first thing. And part of that 
is it be transparent. Get up there and say, we love Chloe. The Eternals didn't work. We think she had a great vision. It didn't translate to what you guys wanted. We hear you. Just be honest. You don't have to tank your, your shareholders and what you will actually gain more revenue by trusting your fans. So, you sounds, will like she's, sounds like you've been listening to our show for a lot longer uh, than you say you have been. Because well, we, we, we definitely, what, right around the time Miss Marvel came out in that first mm-hmm. episode, say, why isn't there a Marvel convention? Oh, right. Why isn't why there is an there Avengers, Avengers Con? Con? That's right. You did. That's right. Okay. So what I was, what I was telling a couple of friends about Star Wars, stop. Celebration in London was amazing. A friend of mine, Christina Ariel was there. She did some emceeing. She said it was phenomenal. Most of the feedback I got was that the people who were involved on stage had a great time, but the fans really struggled. It was hard for them to feel connected to what was going on. It doesn't mean they didn't have a great time. It doesn't mean that they didn't have amazing things that were exclusive and revealed in the whole bit. It's that same idea of it's a fine line of just one way communication cannot be how you're communicating with fans. It can't be we're up on a big stage and we're going to tell you all this stuff and you're just going to accept it. And if we build it, you will come. I want to say that started with celebration around 2017. Yes, I would agree because uh, we actually, I don't know if you knew this or not, Jenny, but we actually got invited to Star Wars Celebration 2017. Mm. And we got to do a live broadcast from their podcast. I I was there. I didn't know that. It, It happened to be the same night as the, the Disney event. Oh, and, okay. and we yeah. were and we were also up against uh, Star Wars Insider Panel, which they oh, were. Wow. Get, I went to the Insider Panel, in which they Most were giving away an iPad. Oh yeah, <laughs> that night. Um, I forgot about that. That was a. I totally agree. That's the that's but, the year that went sideways. Yeah, uh, but I had been at the previous two celebrations that were here in Orlando, mm-hmm. and there. I was telling Eric, it was not this type of disconnect back then. Right. But the previous two, this one, there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect. Well, I, I think like y'all hit the nail on the head. The communication was in one direction only. Uh-huh. Now, we had a wonderful time. Yes. Walking around and chatting with like Jordan White. Right. And, and John Tyler Christopher yeah. and and all these other people. And well, but even even with is, even with fans, communication part that is even the, with other fans of, asking us about Star Wars comics. Yeah, and and I, I can't have Kevin Feige walking the floor. So I was just at Dragon Con, and I love Dragon Con. Dragon Con oh, is amazing. Yes. Amazing. Yeah, I, I used to go to Dragon Con before I got married. Now that I'm no longer married, I should go back. <laughs> I'm gonna be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> The thing about Dragon Con that I think is unique, but I do think it can be replicated. I know that fan expos try to do this and they, yeah. it's hit, well, it's hit and miss. They try, but I hate to say a lot of miss more than stars walk around at Dragon Con and nobody yes. mocks them. And it's, it's an unwritten rule. Part of that is because Dragon Con is what it is. It, it, it's established itself that this is, 
everybody's here to have fun, including stars who are their fans themselves of these other shows or properties. And so we're not here to mob people. We're all here to do this together. It allows you to have a D&D game with people that are A-listers and B-listers, and it's mm-hmm. super fun. But that can happen. It doesn't have to be San Diego celebration. Marvel could do what I call and what everybody gets when you say it, fan experiences. I know it's what Star Cruiser wanted to be, but it is the same idea. It is, I know that that's a sensitive subject on this podcast, but... (laughs) Mm-hmm. Well, with some of us, definitely. For, for some of you, I want to be very careful. Um, I think that it is possible for as big a IP and IP as Marvel mm-hmm. to do this. If we go back to what we talked about before, our premise is it's not a monolith. So if you have of your franchises, you're going to launch Fantastic Four and X-Men relaunch. So mm-hmm. do a Fantastic Four and X-Men fan experience. And it's just those two. And you have 60,000 fans. It doesn't cost you. My God, it's a drop in the bucket. A lot of money to do this event. I do these events. You could do something that's phenomenal. That is interaction with, not interactive, interaction, you know, real-time, touchy-feely mm-hmm. with people who are directors, writers, producers. Can you imagine if Chloe had actually gone and talked to people and fans about why she did what she did with the Eternals? When you see some of her interviews, you understand why she did what she did. You may still hate the movie, but suddenly it gives you perspective on why she did it and approached it the way she did it. And at the time was being told it was going to be part of this bigger storyline. So a lot of things that feel like they're weird to us why did you go down that road was because it was going to be part of a bigger storyline well what if you knew all that that's being transparent now Feige has alluded to this now and you know two years later but it's too late and this would be such an easy thing to do to Mm -hmm. split up your fandom and have some really cool fan experiences where Kevin goes to each of these You don't get to be in charge and be the creator and be the owner of this and not be out there explaining to people what's going on. Right. You you can't have it both ways. You can't be pissed that we're not going and liking your stuff when you're way up here not talking to us about the whys, the context, the perspective. I think think when we talked about it, because I want to say I saw something too. I don't know if it was a a T-shirt. It was a fictitious shirt about a Marvel con as well. Mm -hmm. I know I talked about it on that same episode or same issue. Um, But why can't this actually happen? There's no... there's no legitimate reason why it couldn't. Right. It's not. And I say I, I say that as a qualifier because, you know, like I said, you know, if if one of the silos says no, right. Uh, it, but it, it just sounds to me like why would the silos? That's the part. Like you said, legitimately, the, yeah. the legitimate part. Why would anybody say no to this? I think it's that. I think it's the opposite. I think nobody wants to own it. And I think that's part of the problem, that if your marketing department and division don't want to own it, which it's quite possible they don't, because they don't necessarily always want to get down into the trenches with fans. And you don't have an actual fandom development just for this type of thing, which is what Amazon's developing. They're developing a silo that's fandom development. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, Disney pretty much had that corner of the market nailed and now they don't right what a great way to recapture that hey we're the experts in this area 
then do a marble, marble, call it something else. But again, you don't have to do the whole thing. I I know, I know three people and they only got to hire two of the three because the third person is already with the company. They just got transferred (laughs) to head up running and setting up MarvelCon. I mean, I mean, I I don't get it. And I'm sure it's not like, not that I don't think you guys are really smart, but it's not like I'm brilliant and came up with something that hadn't been thought of before. I am sure this has been pitched. What I don't understand, and this is where, Eric, I think it is, is that I think it's that nobody wants to own it internally. Kevin Feige can't. He's overwhelmed. I think if this was 10 years ago, he might have gone ahead. He might have even pitched it and been told, no, 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 you have to be part of D23. I don't know. But it seems to me that this is the type of thing that if I, because I've worked both client and agency side, I know outside agencies that have pitched this who have said, why are we not doing a, in terms of Loki, we could even just do a Disney plus Marvel, just the the shows that are Marvel, just Mm -hmm. that would work. Well, hello. Well, okay. I know you can't do it here in Florida because of Universal's theme park rights. Right. But you could do it in California, especially since you have Avengers Campus. Why couldn't you do Marvel Weekends like we used to do Star Wars Weekends here in Florida? ESPN The Weekend here in Florida. Well, and I know people have pitched stuff like that for Marvel, for Avengers Campus. I know that. But I I don't know where it went. I don't know. A company that I work with, Jump Creative and uh, Bomb Creative, who do event marketing, They've pitched this stuff and it just kind of goes nowhere. It's, I think what happens is it gets lost in the miasma that is Disney. That's the problem. It's like, I don't think they know who can make the decision to say yes. So I think, I, I think, and I could be wrong here. I, something, I, I think that maybe they, they think that all, they do see the fans as a monolith. Because one of the complaints that I see a lot, especially when it comes to the MCU in general, is people talking about how they're tired of getting the same story. And one of the things that was before they moved all the shows from or they stopped doing the Netflix shows before they stopped doing um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., was in essence, people that were watching the shows and the movies were getting the same experience that the comic readers were getting. Marvel is in tears. Like yeah. you get, you have the street level heroes. You got, you got yo. Know, then you got the cosmic heroes, and you got the Avengers who are like handling everything in between. It's like so, you know, you had Luke Cage and Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Punisher. You 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 had an Iron Fist. You had all of that, and like my dad loves that stuff. Yeah. And even with the Marvel movies, like if it was a Captain America movie, that was more of a spy type of thing. If it was Iron Man, you knew it was going to be kind of a uh, sci-fi, high-tech kind of thing. Right. If it's Doctor Strange, it's going to be yes, no cool. kind of mystic magic, yeah. whatever. Yeah. But now. At post, um, post, uh, Infinity, Infinity War, post Endgame, I, I think it really just hit me today. It feel everything really does feel the same. It's not a different experience every time. It almost feels like, hey, oatmeal again. Now I'm a fan of oatmeal, but it's oatmeal again. Yeah, and, right. and I know I've said this before. 
But you've seen the 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 SpongeBob be- meme where Plankton is just rubbing his head, go, I don't know, I never thought I'd get this far. Yeah, that to me seems like Marvel Studios once end game, once the end credits rolled. Mm-hmm. It, it's like there. How do we replicate it? Yeah, there was yeah. there was this clear buildup. Mm-hmm. To first the Avengers movie, mm-hmm. the f- the first one, and then to Infinity War. Right. Yeah. It's like everything you could tell it was going to one endgame. For the problem is, think about the comics, right? That we love. Mm-hmm. How many comics do we read that are big events versus their own silo? Kylan, to your point, right. you know, you've got. I don't read every Marvel character. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm not into every Marvel character, but will I read some of the big events? Sure. Am I going to read every single issue for every single character, the off issue of that, that event? No, but I'll read the ones I love. I'll mm-hmm. read the Spider-Man, the Iron Man, whatever it is that I'm going to read. But I, I mean, as, luck, as much as I love the Punisher and I do, I'm not going to read the whole Punisher series that's connected to some big event. I, I will all, I'll only go back and read those episodes if there there was something vital to the story. Exactly. That was in that one particular issue yeah. that I need to now bridge the gap between these yeah. other and two issues. I'm I, uh, my son makes fun of me because my son can come in the middle and watch something and be fine with it. I'm like, oh my God, no, we got to go back to the beginning. <laughs> right. Yeah, me too. I watched all, I rewatched all of Clone Wars and all of Rebels because I'm weird like that and that's what I love to do. But what really I think, Eric, to your point, as comic book lovers, we don't need everything to be an event. But if you're going to build a cinematic universe, unfortunately, you do need that to continue a franchise. You don't have a series of story arc books like Harry Potter or Wheel of Time or some others that are being adapted because that's not how it works. So a Marvel Cinematic Universe, and this goes back to your point, Mike, that you had a creative committee that was at odds with how the Marvel Cinematic Universe needed to be created is that, okay, then what do you do next when Endgame's over? And Feige had it figured out, but it stumbled. And the problem is, is the minute it stumbled is when Iger and Chapek come in and say, well, the shareholders aren't happy. And decisions are made from that end, as opposed to Feige saying, guys, not everybody loved Iron Man 3. It's not the end of the world here for us to stumble in a couple of movies. Let me play this out. That's not how it worked. A lot of that's because of COVID. Totally get it. But the problem is, is that you end up having something that continually has to be the big event. Oh, Eric, right. to your point. And you can't, they could, comic books do it. We could just go to the next big event. But you can't expect every single aspect of your TV, your streaming, your comics to all connect. Fans aren't going to do it. The biggest problem for Ahsoka, in my my opinion, was, God bless Dave Filoni, I loved it, I know a lot of people didn't, is that it required too much knowledge that you had to have to really enjoy it. You had to have former knowledge of Rebels. You you probably should have former knowledge of Clone Wars. I have friends who weren't huge fans who enjoyed it, but they enjoyed it on a super superficial level. So you've got to have a way that fans can access and not everybody's going to be a diehard fan. Not again, not a monolith. 
you have casual fans, you have avid fans. So how do you appeal to them? Well, don't expect every movie to appeal to that whole monolith of fans. But right. that's where we've gotten because Endgame and Infinity Wars were so successful. What does entertainment do? But they oh, were, yeah. but they were so, events. Let's do it again. You know, it, it's like, oh, until there's somebody who's creative and comes in with a new idea and says, hey, guys, you don't really need to do it that way. We could do something different. Let's look at comic books as, hey, here's a concept. The very things that we're basing our creative concepting on, why don't we go and look at comic books for some ideas? But that's that's not what they're doing right now. They're looking right. for, yeah. we want to replicate the same idea and be as successful as Infinity War and Endgame was and look at how each of our offshoots, every single one broke records. Every single one. Well, you're not going to achieve that again. No. So one, one final question before I hit our final segment of the night. I love talking with you guys. I can do right. this. <laughs> <laughs> um, with with you saying earlier in the show um, that you were kind of doing this podcast tour. Yeah. Uh, going out to inform people about your job and what you mm-hmm. do. And then yeah. finding those few shows, I'm sure, I'm sure it's few that yes. are like, that are like us who, who already know, um, but want to you know take the deep dives like we've taken tonight. Yeah. Have you found when you go to different studios, different clients, going, y'all are missing the ball. Mm. And here are shows that are examples of why you're missing the ball. Mm-hmm. Have you, have, has that become a new tool in your arsenal? Oh yeah. Since doing and this? You have to have both. I mean, going back to the Netflix shows, that's one of the ones I have a friend, one of my best friends who I work with on a lot of projects. He was the digital campaign owner for Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, etc. They did quite a few campaigns for that that were all in character. Mm-hmm. That worked. Yeah. And yeah. it worked well and they con- it wasn't just social, they con- they connected, they did a bunch of things at that year's D23, they made these connections. That was mm-hmm. successful. Um, I use, unfortunately, I use Andor as one of the examples of while it was successful with the diehard group, it could have been a lot more successful. This was a very, very accessible story. And Mm -hmm. it was a story that you didn't have to know about the force. You didn't have to even like Star Wars. You don't have to like sci-fi. This was a great human interest story. Why didn't you sell this like you sell Bosch or some other story on Amazon Prime or Netflix? You know how to do this, but you're so stuck in this. Oh, sorry. My dog. Just, right. He broke okay. the door. He's a smart dog. Um, that's what I do now is I have these conversations and I try not to overdo the here's an example where it went wrong. What mm-hmm. I try to do is say, here's what one of the things that I love that you did. And I always end with that because even if it's just a part of what a campaign that they did, if it reached fans and was successful, of which I was one of them, I try to use that as here's a great example. And to go back to all of what we've talked about, cross-functionality, you communicated with your collectibles people, or you went out and actually had one-on-ones with your fans. You want to re-emphasize those with the client and say, hey, this worked. And then you ask them, why didn't you keep doing this? If your best bet is to ask them, who's your expert internally? Who's your fan? Who knows this content? Don't walk in presuming you're the expert. 
there are probably a lot of people like us at these studios who wish the same thing we do. So find them, <laughs> get them, have right. them be part of these decisions. It's not like I'm walking in there with all the answers. These are things that we all know as geeks and as fans. Right. So we need to find our tribe internally at all of these IP owners. So I want to get into our, our final segment. Thank you for pressing the self-destruct button. Have a nice day. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I, <sighs> Thursday, your timing is impeccable. Um, and I, I'm going to say for this episode, this segment is being brought to you by Jersey Ninja. This is where we flip the tables and have. <laughs> Not literally. Oh, damn it. And, and have our guest ask us a question. You know, I prepared for this, right? She has been <laughs> oh, listening boy. to the shows. I, I totally prepared for this. Okay. Oh. So I, I was going to do one individually, but I'm going to ask this for all three of you because I think that this is a good one, especially based on what I do. Please give me one example of where you think it was. Okay. I know. Yeah. You want to be part of it too. An example of a campaign, it, it can be from a couple of years ago that worked for you and not the John Wick one. It's got to be something that just got you emotionally, where that studio or IP owner, that creative owner reached you and then one that failed miserably for you. Not that the show or the film failed, that the outreach to you worked. Oh my gosh. Sorry. I'm That's very bold. Um, Sorry. One For once, it's worked. not my dogs. <laughs> one that worked and one that failed miserably. Okay. Well, I'll go ahead and start this off because I I mentioned mine earlier in the show, and that's yeah. the viral yeah. the viral campaign that went with dark with the Dark Knight. Yeah. I mean that I thought was absolutely genius. Yeah. I think the marketing that failed the the most recently. Well, n- not recently, but is one of the busy- biggest examples. And it happened to such a great film. But again, the campaign and the marketing heard it. That was everything that led up to Solo, a Star Wars story. Oh, my gosh. Right. Yeah. For me, I would have to go not quite so recent, but the ad campaign for Lilo and Stitch. Where that's great. Because it was it was riffing on the the Disney classics, yeah. Where where you know you'd have you know Aladdin and Jasmine singing and flying on the carpet, and all of a sudden you hear honk honk, and here comes Stitch pulling up alongside in the police. I love that one. That's a great one. And, and and it would always end with get your own movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then it would cut to of all things ACDC playing right, back right. in black. Right. And it was just it was it was just so it, it, it was so off the wall. Yeah. It, it was just such a hard, hard left turn from anything yeah. that Disney had done up yeah. to that point. Yep. Now, you want to talk about good movies. I thought it was a good movie that the advertising or lack thereof didn't do any good. I, I can name a couple like, you know. Right. Uh, well, three actually. Atlantis, the Lost Empire, yeah. Treasure Planet, yes, and John Carter. Yeah, mm-hmm. I fully yeah. agree. Yeah, fully agree. I have I have a twenty one year old boy. Those are three of his favorite movies from Disney. He absolutely loves those movies. Treasure Planet, especially. Yes, and I we didn't see them in the theater, and he was of age. We didn't even know about it, and yeah. and I'm in the business. And we live, we live in Los Angeles in San Diego. Come on. Right. Yeah. That's, so those, those are brilliant. Yeah. If those three movies 
had a half decent ad campaign. Mm-hmm. Who knows what they would have, right? How they would have done. I mean, you, we just here could think of so many fun things to do with both Atlantis and Treasure Planet, let alone John Carter. Sorry, I just you could have gotten me. Don Novello up on a a convention stage. Mm. And just just let him talk. And just let him talk. Just let him riff on all of it. Can you imagine the behind-the-scenes stories that would have been amazing? Oh, yeah. oh God, yes. I, I mean, as big as Steampunk was at the time, Atlantis, I, I, I don't understand. I think about that. Can you imagine if they had gone to some of the Steampunk conventions? I, that would have been brilliant. That it, it would have it would have gone huge. I mean, considering that there's not a lot of steampunk media out there as far as movies, oh, yeah. TV shows, it's just not. And so when you get it, you you jump on it, you know. But yeah, no, there was no, no reach outreach like that. The audience, because I just did this. For a persona, it's about 18% of your fantasy audience. Uh, and those are diehards. Let, that's what we even talking about, people who would be casually interested in Steambuck. So can you imagine if you had it actually gone out to that audience? Yeah. Exactly. You would have had guaranteed tickets. Look, Kylie, outside uh, so of John me, Wick. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> outside of John Wick, I would say the first Equalizer movie. Uh, they had a phone number you, you could call. It, it 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 was um it was it was the actual phone number for uh for 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 the equalizer. You call the number, and you could leave a message. I didn't know that. That's cool. yes. The Denzel Washington equalizer. Yeah, yeah, the Denzel Washington movies. Yeah, so like you could call Robert McCall, and he he he, and he left a message, and I was like, if you have a problem and there's no one else to help, you know, I can help you. You know, yeah, he got so, that from I'm, the A team, though. It was okay. It wasn't exactly that one. It was like he has like this three sentence message, really close to the A team one, but yeah. it was like, yeah. uh, oh, are are you in trouble? Do, if do you need help, I, call me. I'm the equalizer. So you call the number and you can call this number and leave a message. Right. And so uh, that was really cool. I actually went back to see if the number was still working for the third movie. And it wasn't. Uh, it doesn't even work anymore. But one that and this is from a movie that I thoroughly enjoyed. I went to this theater. I saw this movie in theater, I believe, three times. Oh. The 355. Oh, yeah. Love that movie. Disappeared. It disappeared. I mean, it could easily been a franchise. Like, as much as people talk about or complain about there's no female-led action movies, the truth is there's a lot of female-led action, action movies out there. But for one reason or another, people don't go. I was... I, I was trying my hardest. I, I just I took my wife. My wife liked it. My friends liked it. Yeah. But every time I went, we're like we were two or five people in the theater. I mean, here we have Barbie, and yet we have no support for the Marvels. So I, it's it doesn't matter how many times you have a successful woman director, woman led film. I, I don't care how many times. It doesn't matter. The next go around, you have to you ha- you still have to try. 40 times harder to get it out there to have the marketing dollars behind it. The yes. number of times where I 
was just the same, right? It's like, oh, cool. This is an amazing movie. Let's go work on this together. Or this is female-led. I wasn't. I could have cared less. If it's a really cool sci-fi fantasy, it's a geek property, let's go do it. Right. Nope. I had less marketing dollars and less digital content dollars if it was female-led. Hey. Buffy's exception that proved the rule. Island. Right. Listen yep. for upcoming Weeby Geeks when we have Ginny on Weeby Geeks. We will touch on the, the female-led topic. Awesome. Okay. On that show. <laughs> Hey, Friday the thirteenth. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, sounds good. I, 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 I'm, I'm just glad that when I said three five five, you knew what I was talking about because I, <laughs> I wanted loved it. it loved yeah. it. So, where can people find you online if they want to follow? So you can find me on LinkedIn. That's where my the business aspect. So, if you're looking at it from, you would like to touch base with me get consulting with me or just talk about what I do. I also do mentoring. I'm at uh, Jenny Seelman Steinman on LinkedIn. Otherwise I am geek with gray hair on TikTok, JS Steinman on Instagram and uh, Facebook. Who cares? Um, but for the most part, I am on TikTok and I am on LinkedIn if you want to reach me or Instagram. And I respond to all DMs. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us this week. Thank you for going Thanks on for this deep dive you. with us. Uh, definitely a lot of fun. I was really excited. Thank you very much for having me on. Oh, it was our thank pleasure. Thank you for being here. And this, is my, this is my jam. This is what I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, now let, let's see just how well does she know show i'll i'll start off this process and we'll see if you know how to finish it thursday oh, no. thursday if you would please all wrapped up here sir will there be anything else no <laughs> it's just time to go dark Ha, ha, ha.